0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Africa Past and Present, the podcast about African history, culture and politics with your hosts Peter Olegi and Peter Lim. And today's theme is African languages and their significant role in learning and studying about Africa and Africans. And we're very privileged to have three guests today. They are Dr. Ibro Shekarau of MSU and the director of SCALI, which we'll tell you a little bit more about in a moment. Dr. Waitera Karim Sise. Who has a PhD from Ohio State University, and Mamaram Sek, Assistant Professor of African and African American Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Welcome, everyone. Thank 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 you. Thank you.
1: Professor Ibro Chikaru is coordinator of the African Language Program at Michigan State University and assistant professor of African Languages at MSU. He has a PhD in language education from Indiana University. And he's the Scully director. Uh, a little bit more about that in a second. He has recently published a book uh, published uh, at Madison, Wisconsin by the National African Language Resource Center, Muzanta Hausa a multi-dimensional approach to the teaching and learning of Hausa as a foreign language uh, just published. Um, Scully is the Summer Cooperative African Language Institute. Uh, it's a language program offered collaboratively on a rotating basis uh, by the National Title VI National Resource Centers for African Language and Area Studies with funding from the U.S. Department of Education. Each year Scully offers some 10 to 15 languages. And for 2009, Michigan State University is hosting an eight-week institute providing the equivalent of one year of African language instruction with uh, equally important cultural exposure. Uh, Mamaram Sek is assistant professor uh, uh, in African and African American studies. Uh, at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, he's a uh, PhD candidate in linguistics at the University of Florida, and he teaches courses on African languages and Islam in Africa. Uh, he also has a wonderful website on uh, Islam in Senegal, including Sheikh Amadou Bamba. And listeners might remember that our very first podcast began with a discussion about that distinguished uh, uh, Islamic scholar and leader, uh, Dr. Uh, w- Wethera Karim Sesi has a PhD from Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, that dealt with uh, uh, very important aspects, uh, socio-cultural factors relating to HIV/AIDS vulnerability amongst women in Kenya. Um, welcome to you all, and I'd like to start the discussion by perhaps asking. Uh, Uh, Ibro, to tell us a little bit about uh, the significance of SCALI. You have assembled here with the assistance of Dr. Yaakov Faseya, the coordinator of um, SCALI, uh, a wonderful team of instructors, and you've attracted an an equally uh, uh, interesting group of graduate students. Perhaps you could outline the significance of SCALI and and what you're doing this year.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, First of all, I would like to say that SCALI is uh, actually graduate students and undergrad students uh, who are interested in taking African languages. For the graduate students particularly, uh, it's important for them because they are uh, planning on doing research in Africa, and uh, as you know, uh, research in Africa is always limited when you don't speak uh, languages spoken uh, in the local areas. Uh, a lot of people might think, oh, okay, I'm going to Africa, therefore if I speak English or French, it will be enough. But uh, actually, they will soon find when they go that they will be limited because uh, if you take a country such as Niger, where Hausa is Spoken, uh, only 10% of the population speaks French, and most of them, uh, probably 98% of them, are concentrated in cities. So if you're doing research, suppose you are an anthropologist or a historian doing research on wrestling, for example, where you have to go to my village and ask people, uh, that means you will be limited because people over there don't speak French. So this is, uh, this is the importance of, uh, of SCALI for graduate students. As far as undergrads, uh, most of them are people who are interested in doing also research in Africa in the future. Uh, And also, uh, uh, many of them uh, want to fulfill their language requirement. And given that the SCALI uh, program is offering this chance of finishing a language program over the summer, a year worth of language program over the summer, uh, which means that they can finish their two-year requirement in a year, uh, a full year, which is 12 months. Uh, so, so they like to register for those and, and take those languages so that they, they fulfill that requirement. So basically, uh, and briefly, this is uh, the importance of SCALI. SCALI is important nationally because this is the only opportunity where uh, we teach uh, over, four, right, this year we teach 14 languages, but uh, in the past, uh, some Scali's have taught over, over uh, up to twenty languages, uh, with uh, a variation of eighteen classrooms where where we teach uh, we teach these languages depending on levels. So this is the only national program actually available that could offer that. Now for universities, of course, when they host uh, uh, the Scali program, they they. N- that contributes to the building of their language their African language programs in general. So we're not hosting it just this year. It's a two-year-round uh, program for every institution that hosts it. So we're going to host it again uh, in the summer 2010, and uh, the former director of African, African uh, Studies Center, uh, Dr. David Wiley, and myself, uh, we lobbied a lot for for this uh, this the scully to be to be at MSU and we're very proud to have it here and we feel honoured.
1: Perhaps we could also bring in our other guests and uh, I expect that some of you have, have taught these scully courses before. Maybe you could uh, elaborate a little bit about your experiences in the classroom with largely. Uh, uh, graduate or undergraduate students, and picking up a theme from Ibro's book, uh, uh, subtitled, a subtitle: Mu- a Multidimensional approach to the teaching and learning of Hausa as a foreign language. What? Are, how? Uh, how do you get through to your students? How do you impart these cultural nuances about your 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 languages?
3: Yeah, um, I. Uh, this is my fourth uh, the fourth study that I've attended um and uh, I have a good very good uh, experience on um, on uh, teaching at Scully uh, in terms of uh, uh, the students that I have met uh, and also the uh, approach that I try to uh, to conduct in my class which is a communicative approach um, and I think um, everyone who attends Cali uh, is somehow prepared to uh, be here for a pretty long time, eight weeks, four hours a day. Uh, so I think in order to have this work you you need to be uh, to make the class very communicative and involving so that every student would feel like uh, he's doing something that he wants to do, and uh, without pressure, without being bored. So that's why we have multi, uh, uh, as Zebro uh, called it in, in his uh, in his book, we have a, a multi-dimensional um, approach. Uh, that means you know you uh, we show movies in class. We have class discussions we make students walk in pairs we uh, sometimes take a trip to somewhere to uh, to see native speakers who live uh... in the area so that they can interact with those people And uh... in the meantime uh, kind of uh... show that they know the language or they are getting by and uh... we also uh... Do uh, what we call extracurriculum activities, uh, like meeting at someone's house. You know, cook the national dish of the target culture, and you know, explains everything how how, how you make this, how we make that. So etc. We, we also ha- uh, have language tables where students can meet uh, once a week or twice a week, uh, out of class. To talk with the with the instructor, to ask questions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and everything is done to help the student meet uh, you know his goals, which is to to be fluent, mm-hmm. you know, after the uh, eight-week program.
1: Well, we, Tara, uh, uh, it's truly a multi-dimensional approach and the use of visual aspects. Just last night, I was uh, actually put into my laptop a, a Shona language. Um, piece of software and I was was, uh, struck by the number of images and sounds that was used. I once attended a Scully uh, course on Shona but Waitara how do you approach it from a teacher of Swahili?
4: Yeah, Uh, My um, experience a little bit different because I was a Scully student at Yale uh, University. I studied Hausa so I was familiar with the intensity. We were only two students and so it was very, very intense. Now as a teacher, I know what I felt as a student. So I tried to apply how I felt to my students so that we could not burn out like we did when we were at, um, at Yale. And um, one of the ways I, I create a collaborative team, build, team, team building framework is by asking the students what, okay, what do you expect to get from the class? This is what I expect from you. What do you expect from me as a professor? And since right now in the SCALI program, I only have four students, which is the first time in my life I always teach like over 20 or 30 students. This has been a very empowering um, atmosphere for me. Very conducive. I have two graduate students. I have one student who is taking Swahili because um, they are going to be working in the Congo, and in the Congo they speak Swahili. And um, and another student could not say where he really works, but um, we could tell that he's he really has to know the language. So um, if students are not willing to be, you know. If they want to be confidential, I allow that. But I usually ask the student, "What do you expect?" And then we go from there. Uh, the way I create uh, a conducive environment is by mix, uh, bringing all kinds of varieties to the class, so that the children—I mean, the students—are not um, are not what we call the affective filters. To avoid frustration, they don't get frustrated because Swahili can be very difficult because it has a lot of grammar. Like the English language. So, and it has 18 noun classes. So, um, I will teach the students in a very methodol- methodological approach and tell the students hey, this is not a tough language. I learned it. Anybody can. And language takes patience. I also invoke um, the book. We learn the culture in context. To the text. So you have to know the culture in order to relate what is in the text. Secondly, um, I know music is the food of the soul, soul, so I will introduce like the old Swahili music. Since the the students are really young, I will combine the old and the new, and they seem to like both. what do you
0: use mm-hmm. music uh, for, and, and how do you use it in the classroom? Or
4: the um, okay, let's say, for instance, um, uh, like let's say we learn about the passive verb. We'll listen to the music, then I'll ask them, where, where did you hear the passive verb or subjective verb? So the music is a way for, for me to see, are they understanding the language, or are we just learning grammar, or are we just say, knowing how to say habari gani, which anybody can, or jumble, therefore the music is, a, is an extension of what they've learned from the textbook, because the textbook is just an accessory. Is now this popular
0: mi- music or is this traditional, so-called traditional Swahili music? Uh, the
4: old Swahili music and the new one. We have the old Swahili music uh, that the old used to listen to, That, but it's really good Swahili. And then um, we have the new one where it has a lot of hip-hop, yes. And the students seem to like it, and uh, luckily uh, my students also have been to Kenya. So it's also a plus, and they also, uh, once they learn the grammar they also realize, wow, some of the English we are speaking, some of the Swahili we are speaking is is broken. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, they made them, this is what Kenyans say. And uh, it's, so they can tell the difference between proper s- standard Swahili and slang, which is called sheng, which is becoming also very popular among the young.
0: That, that reminds me when I took my uh, second uh, installment of uh, Isizulu. After uh, I took it for two years at Yale, I, I was at Boston University finishing my Ph.D. And the first thing my language teacher said to me, was who taught you that Transvaal Zulu? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well,
4: that raises
1: this very uh, interesting question of the application of learning African languages, and of course, Scully and all of your tremendous work is laying down this this foundation, this base for the students to go to Africa to to get to know Africans on, a, on equal terms and to burrow in on their research. And you've raised this question about colloquialisms and variations in languages. Uh, uh, and Mamaram, you, you're a linguist uh, by profession. How do you come to terms with these variations, these colloquialisms? Uh, because often we, when we see the end product of the graduate students, when their book is published, they might say... And thank you very much to X, Y, and Z for assistance with language. So even though many of our graduate students are learning language, when they're in the field, of course, you, it's far more complicated. So how do we get around these complexities of language?
3: That's a good question. Um, uh, what I'm doing currently uh, in my class, uh, since we are lucky to have a very big classroom with uh, uh, almost four boards, so there is one that I devoted to, uh, you know, slangs and, you know, uh, some uh, phrases, expressions that uh, student may, may hear from, from a city uh, person, speaker, for example. So I, uh, I, I don't teach uh, slangs in particular. I teach the standard language that is spoken uh, in almost everywhere and understandable by uh, all native speakers. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you said, uh, reality can be different when the student goes to the field. And uh, we hear often uh, questions like uh, all, all kind of interrogations or um, people expressi- expressing their frustration about the language that they uh, have been taught and the language that is spoken in the field. can say, oh, in Dakar they don't say this. I heard this. Why why didn't you teach me this? So how, you know, things like that. But uh, I try to uh, put uh, those things into my teaching somewhere, you know, in the classroom, I devoted a special uh, part of the of the, the board to uh, idioms or uh, uh, phrases or slang that students may may uh, may uh, encounter in the field. But what we, we are doing is to teach them uh, the standard uh, world of which they can uh, they can speak and also hear in the field without being corrected. Because uh, many many students are very concerned about saying things wrong, and you know uh, facing some kind of uh, issues like that, so or being challenged. So I try my best to teach them the the, the standard language. If, although we have uh, variations. Uh, for example, the Wolof that is spoken in Senri, you may have some lexical mm. uh, differences. For example, uh, we uh, the word for uh, Saturday, uh, you have three different terms. You have Gao, which is a Wolof pure Wolof word. Mm. We have uh, Aset, which is also used. By the Pular speakers, uh, I also hear some some people, uh, especially there is a radio broadcaster who says, you know, Asset for uh, to mean Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I teach them Gau, but I also make sure that they know that there is another term that is used in the northern part of Senegal, which is Asset, but. In Dakar, they would use samdi, mm. which is Wolof uh, because when <laughs> it's used by the Wolof, although it's a French word. Ah. So, you know, uh, we, they may encounter that kind of uh, situation, but we try to find ways to make those uh, things clear so that... Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I just wanted to go back to the previous question about uh, teaching methodology. I wanted to um, I emphasize here that uh, uh, in Scali, our teaching methodology is a communicative language teaching and also we want to make it as much as we can, we want to make it immersed so that the students uh, hear and speak the language all the time. So one activity that uh, we do to extend from the classroom that uh, I didn't hear mention uh-huh. is language tables. So we, we meet uh, during lunch, uh, the students and their instructors will meet, and also we invite the people in the community who speak those languages to come and join so that students uh, hear, hear it. Now, the other thing about uh, a dialect is my book is a perfect example of what uh, Dr. Seki is saying, that uh, I, I speak in Niger. When I speak to my mother, I speak in Niger dialect in, of Hausa. But when I wrote the book, I made sure it's standard, and the standard dialect is based on Kanu. Although there are slight uh, references of, uh, of Niger in terms of cultural references, because I'm from there. But otherwise, the texts and uh, all linguistic references are based on, on, uh, on standard. So the general agreement among language teachers is start with the standard. I, I don't speak standard with my mother, but if she heard somebody speaking standard, she will still understand. But she will be quick to say, "Where did you learn that Kanu Hausa?" <laughs> <laughs> she will be quick to say that. So, so, so the standard is one thing that is that all scholars agree with to use the standard for teaching. Although sometimes I refer as a footnote to what you would hear if you are from if you are interested if you go to Niger, because a lot of our grad students are interested in going to Niger for, for studying or for, for doing research. So I, I had those openings uh, for that in the footnotes.
0: And these comments bring about uh, uh, the issue of sort of hegemonic languages, right? I mean, you all are teaching languages that are spoken across borders, uh, Swahili, uh, Hausa, and, and, and Wolof as well. Um, so the issue of the politics of language comes into play as well. Uh, can you speak to that, the relationship between uh, power and language, and, and, and maybe um, you know, the, the, the philosophy of uh, Ngugi Watyongo um, comes up as well, right, who he stopped writing in English and chose to write in Ikuyu and, and, and made a very strong statement uh, about the need to decolonize the mind of, of Africans, and how does this come into play, and how do students relate to it?
2: Uh, how, how do our students hear that yep. we teach religion? And, and, and how do, how do okay. you tackle the issue? In, in fact, my my dissertation was was about uh, uh, comparing two schools in Niger, where Hausa and French are taught. Hausa was used as uh, the language of instruction, so I investigated uh, what teachers do in those uh, in, in such schools. So basically, uh, it is an issue in Africa, the issue of language policy. Uh, But I said, I always say to people that French, as uh, Dr. Sek just said, he said that uh, people say samdi in in Wolof, and it's a Wolof word. There are some people, you you can't tell them that it's a French word. They would just say samdi. So the same thing in Niger. I told people that when I gave a conference in Niger, uh, in the capital city, I said to them that uh, French is ours. We can, we can claim that it's ours, right? But at the same time, that should not make us forget our native languages and, and just to say we are French. We, are, we claim French, but we are not French. So we can claim French as part of the national language because uh, some people today in the capital city would speak, would start speaking as a native language at home. Uh, and sometimes there are words, actually, that we say in African French or in Niger French that the French don't understand. Uh, my famous example that uh, people are saying that it happened in, uh, between the president of Niger and uh, the the president of, uh, of, of the former president of France, he visited Niger, and then uh, the, the president of Niger said to him, de jour? which means, what about the two days, literally? And then the president of France didn't understand that. He called his protocol, found out, what <laughs> did you call about, what did you talk about with the president of Niger the last two days? He went, and then only to learn at the end that, in fact, Elie de Jure is a greeting in, in, uh, in, in, in Niger French and in African French, I think, in general, uh, which is the transposition of African languages, of Hausa and, uh, and, and Zarma in the case of Niger. So French, we can claim it but it should not make us forget our own languages. I think it's important that we emphasize our languages to be national languages and to be used in education so that uh, when everybody goes uh, to, to our countries, they not only interact with intellectuals in those languages, but also with people in the rural areas. I think it's only fair. It doesn't make sense for our students to know these languages here, which, in fact, when I teach Hausa, I emphasize the, the oral skill because when they go to Niamey, the capital city of Niger, the first uh, signs that they will see are all, all of them in French. So, so reading is not such a good, a good, a good thing to teach uh, particularly. I mean, you can still read, uh, teach them for, so that they get vocabulary, but in terms of speaking, I think speaking is more important and listening. So that's why we emphasize more listening and speaking than really writing, which is slightly different in the, in the East Coast. So I think it's important.
1: And, of course, uh, yeah. English is
2: a very acquisitive language. It's full of foreign words.
1: Weythera, well, what about this, um, this question that Ngugi Watyonga raised? And what does, in Kenya, uh, how, how do you grapple with the multitude of languages, but also the imperative of, of questions of teaching and learning? Is this age-old question, should we teach more in indigenous languages or should we teach more in global languages? How does it all stack up in Kenya?
4: Yeah. Kenya is a little bit unique because we have over 40 ethnic groups. Now, uh, using Gugiwa Thiengu, Gugi wa was writing in Gikuyu. Now, when they wrote in Kikuyu, it was ex- exclusionary because it was also excluding the other 39 ethnic groups who don't speak Gikuyu or even read it. So it, there was kind of a backlash, and as you saw with the election, it was based along ethnic lines, and it looked like the smaller ethnic groups combined, joined together against the Gikuyu group. And as, when you look at the statistics, the Gikuyu are the largest group in Kenya. But all of a sudden, with the elections, the Gikuyu became the minority. The, ethnic, the smaller ethnic groups combined together against the Kikuyu. And, of course, uh, as we see, really uh, the media shows that the election or the war that happened after the election was ethnic. It was ethnic, too, but essentially it was also the poor fighting against the rich. And with colonization, the Kikuyu, of course, were able um, to amass wealth. And the other ethnic, and of course, uh, gaining power, they the other ethnic groups believe that uh, Odinga is the one who was from the lower ethnic group who won the war. So now, with the elections, you have to also talk about the language because the language is the unifier. It's how you know about the people. Um, so with the ethnic groups, the many ethnic groups, there is this war which. La- should people be right? Should every ethnic group be writing in their own their own ethnic language? who decides which language to be spoken so there 's that huge comp- conflict it becomes very complicated, then it ends up to be it 's the one who own, who owns the gold that makes the rules so obviously, power takes over, and now we see that um with globalization, um, Kenya, the young, which comprise 55% of the population, 55% of the population in Kenya is literally under the age of 15 from my statistics when I did my research. Uh, so the young, they are embracing the Sheng language, which is a mixture of English, an indigenous language, and Swahili. Now the young are resisting the old, and with the, of course, with globalization, there's hip hop. Now, if you see the new music, it's full of rap, Swahili music, mm. the beat, uh, the 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 speaking, the rapping. The only difference is that it's not in English; it's in Swahili, and the young the young musicians have become very, very rich and have to overtaken the older musicians. Uh, secondly, shang has become uh, a language of protest. It has also become an, an insulator. So the young are insulating the older people. So the, if I, like if, when, I, when I went to Kenya, I could not understand the shang because it changes every day. You could be sitting there and you speak Swahili and you'll, not, you'll understand one or two words, but it changes every day depending on the environment, the culture, and what's going on. So it's not uh, static, it's fluid. So the, in, in essence, language is very political and it's very complicated. And um, it's, I think it's unfair to decide Okay, I, I do ag- agree with Gugiwa decolonizing the mind, and he wrote in Gikuyu, but he only wrote for uh, maybe 30% of the people. Do all Gikuyus uh, read uh, Gikuyu? No. Many of them just speak it because we don't learn it in the schools. We learn Kikuyu I mean, we learn Kiswahili and English. The
0: situation in Senegal with Wolof, Mama. Uh, Yes, and I will uh, join uh, uh,
3: my colleague uh, to uh, raise the questions that we uh, hear people ask very often when we uh, when it comes to uh, how to teach our languages, so or how to give them a uh, better. Uh, status in the in the country. Uh, I think saying asking some questions would never help us solve the problem. And like uh, which language to, I mean, choose or you know uh, where to start. I think uh, if we take countries like Switzerland, they manage to accommodate uh, the communities that are that are in the country. So you have. You have uh, the the French community of Geneva, so everything is done in French. You go to uh, the Italian part, that's the same. You go to the German no. part, etc. So I think that's a good example. And uh, I think what we should do, uh, which would save us time, is to start uh, integrating the national languages into the schooling system mm-hmm. so that the students at least can uh, you know see the importance of of their languages and also to uh, uh, you know uh, not think that they cannot learn what is taught somewhere else in other countries in their, na- in, in their native languages. Because mm. that, I think that's the big challenge. Yeah. And Cheikh uh developed that idea of teaching mathematics in Wolof. And then he gave lecturers, you know, uh, to show that it is possible. Uh, I'm not saying that we should get rid of French. Because it's, uh, to me, knowing French, knowing English is a plus but that should be in addition to our national languages that, you know, should be given more importance in the system. And we should do it. And, and maybe, who knows, that can even help students understand what they would not be able to understand in a, in a foreign language.
2: I just wanted to make yeah. a quick point relative to it. In fact, it's not maybe, it's a research. A research sh- showed that. Uh, second language acquisition, first lang- even first language acquisition research, shows that anytime a student learns their, a child learns their native language well they learn to read and write and it, it's easier for them to transfer the parameters to learning another language. And we see it here. Our best students usually are the ones who, first of all, master the English language in terms of its grammar, mm-hmm. and then who have gotten a chance to take other languages, and when they're in your class, you can check that even, Mm. you can see that usually the most active students are those kinds of students. So it's by research, actually.
1: So it's a very important point that we can conclude our very interesting discussion today, and uh, clearly the uh, language of instruction is, is another extremely important area. And I'm reminded that we've been talking in English, so perhaps we can conclude by each of us saying goodbye or having a parting greeting in our native language.
3: So,
2: I am going to say that 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 mukei am going to say na I am going to say that I I am going to say that going to kuma uh, munjida di muna patan zamu samu wani uh, wata dama ta muyi zance uh, a hausa Nagodi. thank you oh.
3: <laughs> wow uh, yen yi <laughs> deglu waxtan wi ci uh, wolof uh, negen xamni uh, do lepp luñu jemelé wolof kanamula e uh, a kienen la ki afriki yu demeni ausa demeni swahili euh ñu gi len di sante di
4: len langu ni daktari waithera mimi nilisoma katika chuo kikuu cha ohio state huko nilipata udaktari wangu sasa ninasomesha katika chuo kikuu cha Michigan State Ninafunza Kiswahili Kiswahili kigumu kinacho ichwa kinachoitwa Kiswahili mia nne hamsini a ah. nina wanafunzi wa nne na... Dara Salango milizuri sana, na tunajita kijiji. Sante. Kwaheri.
0: Ambagashe arrivederci. See ya. Africa Past and Present is produced by Matrix, the Center for Humane Arts, Letters, and Social Sciences online at Michigan State University. Our producer is Scott Pennington. Technical assistance is provided by Chris Johnson, Ryan Blyton, and Alicia Scheel. For more information about this show and to subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website at afripod.aodl.org. A-F-R-I-P-O-D, if you have any comments or suggestions for future shows, please send us a message at Africa. .podcast at matrix.msu.edu. Thanks for listening.